Hey, podcast family. Welcome back to another episode of Clinical Pearls. About three weeks ago on November the 4th, 2022, we released an episode on maternal carrier screening. And I love it when we get Facebook messages on our page about an episode because that means that we're stirring up the brainwaves. And I love that. I mean, ideally, each episode is meant to not just spoon feed information to us, but to help trigger insights and questions and viewpoints that may be lost somewhere in the dark recesses of our memory or hopefully contribute new concepts altogether. Well, that's exactly the kind of message that I received this morning from one of our podcast family listeners. Emma said, hey, Dr. Chop, I'm an avid listener. Your podcast helped me pass the boards last year. So as a side note, I'm very thankful for that. Thank you for that nice message. But Emma also went on to say, listen, on your maternal carrier screening, I wanted to clarify something. Does ACOG still recommend targeted screening for Fragile X or should it be done universally? All right, that sounds pretty straightforward, right? I mean, do you do a targeted population screen or screen everybody universally? Pretty straightforward. But it's not. It's actually much deeper than that. It's actually very controversial, and I'm going to tell you why. So very quickly, there's just two quick schools of thought here. The first school of thought is just do it by target population. That's where you can have higher yield, and you're going to find real prevalence that actually matters. And that's ACOG's stance. But not everybody agrees. Others say, no, we should be doing this universally. And I'm going to explain why. Ready? So let's cover Fragile X Syndrome, what it is, and what testing looks like, and who should get it in this episode. Let's do that right now. Our goal is to keep everyone up to date in practicing evidence-based medicine because medicine moves real fast. This is Clinical Pearls. Now, before we start this whole Fragile X thing, a quick summary on the difference between fetal NIPs or cell-free DNA and maternal carrier testing. I think we stated this in the maternal carrier screening podcast, well, at least I think I did, but remember that NIPs or non-invasive prenatal tests is, of course, for the fetus and the child. But maternal carrier screening is for the mother, so carrier screening should be done only once, one time, not once per pregnancy, just once. We're going to talk about two professional societies in this episode, right? Everybody gets ACOG, and then we're going to talk about the ACMGG. This is the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics. Now, as I was putting this together, I actually called one of my contacts at the ACMGG who helped contribute to that ACOG committee opinion. I'm like, hey, I'm about to put this thing online uh, as a podcast. Is this right? (laughs) I just want to make sure I'm giving correct information. And I'm telling you, this is right out of the ACMGG. So, yep, we are current and up to date. And like we said at the intro, it's very easy. There's just two camps. You do some things as targeted screening for genetic issues, and then some things should be universal. And there's some things that nobody questions, all right? So ACOG has at least three conditions that nobody balks with, everybody agrees on. And we're going to get into each one of those. The three that are no controversy, that are de facto, just do that as universal screen, everybody gets. It's spinal muscular atrophy cystic fibrosis, and the hemoglobinopathies. We're going to touch on those just briefly because this is how fast things move. Remember that the hemoglobinopathies was just added August of 2022. And of course, we're doing this November of 2022. So the three that nobody box at is SMA, CF, 
and the hemoglobinopathies. That should be universal. Now, some people add fragile X to that list, but not everyone, because ACOG right now, as of November 2022, still does targeted recommendations for screening for that, but not everyone agrees. And now, again, we're going to get into all of that, but let's cover the three universally recommended things to screen for, starting with SMA. Screening for spinal muscular atrophy should be offered to all women who are considering pregnancy or are currently pregnant who haven't been screened before. In patients with a family history of spinal muscular atrophy, molecular testing reports of the affected individual and carrier testing of the related parents should be reviewed, if possible, before testing to make sure that we're screening for the right thing. If the reports are not available, then SMN1 deletion testing is what's recommended, all right? SMN1 deletion testing. The same goes for cystic fibrosis testing. Cystic fibrosis carrier screening should be offered to all women who are considering pregnancy or who are currently pregnant and have not yet been screened for. But remember, according to the college, complete analysis of the CFTR gene by DNA sequencing is not necessary nor appropriate for routine carrier screening. That brings us to the hemoglobinopathies, and this is where things have changed. Look how fast things move, because this update is a different stance from the college since the committee opinion was first out back in 2017. That was committee opinion 691. Listen to how the college then, again back in 2017, called for hemoglobinopathy screening. They stated that all women should of course have a CBC, a complete blood count, to assess their risk of anemia. And for those with anemia who had certain ethnicities, then you could get a hemoglobin electrophoresis to make sure that there was no aberrant hemoglobin, specifically in African or Mediterranean or those of Southeast Asian or Middle Eastern descent. So it was still risk-based and again, based on their CBC indices. But that's now gone because that changed in August 2022 with ACOG's practice advisory titled Hemoglobinopathies in Pregnancy. In this practice advisory, it now states, quote, previous recommendations for hemoglobinopathy testing used race or ethnicity-based strategies. However, race and ethnicity can be incompatible with genetic ancestry, given that approximately 1 in 66 people in the U.S. have a hemoglobinopathy trait. ACOG now recommends offering universal hemoglobinopathy testing to persons planning pregnancy or at the initial prenatal visit if prior testing results are not available for interpretation. And so here's a clinical pearl. Hemoglobinopathy is now considered universal screening. So that's good to do that. And you can do this by one of two ways, either the traditional hemoglobin electrophoresis, or you can do molecular genetic testing, like the expanded carrier screening. But cell-free DNA is still considered experimental by the ACOG and is, quote, currently not recommended, end quote, as of August 2022. Everybody good? So add hemoglobinopathies to universal screening with either hemoglobin electrophoresis or molecular genetic tests by expanded carrier testing, but not by cell-free DNA. Well, okay, that's that. But what about our topic for this episode, Fragile X? Well, let's cover that next. (music) 
When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. I know we all covered this like in our pre-med genetics class, but we all know the term fragile X syndrome. But what the heck is it? Fragile X syndrome is an X-linked disorder and most common inherited cause of intellectual disability. It's also the most common single gene cause of autism spectrum disorder, ASD. Right? This is a big deal. Both males and females can be affected, although in general, males are much more severely affected and some females are completely asymptomatic. Remember that we're talking about a specific gene and its protein, and that gene is the FMR1 gene. Now, if you just try to remember FMR1, you're going to forget, but it stands for something and you won't forget it because the name of the condition is in the name of the gene. It's Fragile X Messenger Ribonuclear Protein 1, all right? Fragile X Messenger Ribonuclear Protein 1, that's the gene, or FMR1 gene, and it's located on the X chromosome. Now, here's a clinical pearl. That area, that FMR1 gene, on average, okay, it's just an average, has about 30 CGG trinucleotide repeats, all right? CGG, that's cytosine, guanine, guanine, all right? So 30 of those repeats, but it can be anywhere from 5 up to 44, FMR1, then, produces the Fragile X messenger ribonuclear protein. So FMR1 gene produces the specific ribonuclear protein that's going to be affected here. As long as that FMR1 area has less than 44 CGG repeats, then gene transcription produces an adequate amount of the protein. Okay, so in other words, you need that little area to be no more than around 44 CGG repeats. And that region of the X chromosome is stable. But if there's more than that number of CGG repeats, then it becomes unstable, hence the fragile X condition. Everybody good? So on average, there's around 30 of these CGG repeats, but it should be no more than 44. Let's recap that, because that's the whole issue of Fragile X Syndrome. That condition is caused by expansion of that number of CCG repeats within the FMR1 gene. Now, even though you can have some deletions that go the opposite way, right? It gets shorter. The majority of the condition is caused by expansion with deletions or point mutations in the FMR1 gene only accounting for 1% or less of Fragile X Syndrome. So here's another clinical pearl. As that repeat size increases, stability 
decreases. In other words, it becomes more fragile. And this happens during gametogenesis. And that's why the number of CGG repeats here is so vital. Remember, the normal is anywhere from 5 to 44. The intermediate, kind of the gray zone, is having 45 to 54 CCG repeats. And then what's called the pre-mutation, meaning it's very susceptible to pass on to the child a true mutation, but the pre-mutation is having 55 to 200 CGG repeats, and the full mutation is greater than 200 CGG repeats. The pre-mutation, in other words, you're at risk of actually passing down a full mutation to the child, but you're good, all right? So if somebody has a pre-mutation, you're asymptomatic, but you can pass on the real mutation to the child during gametogenesis, and a pre-mutation is 55 to 200, and you get the fragile X syndrome when there's more than 200 CGG repeats. Now, remember, we talked a lot about this pre-mutation based on the number of CGG repeats, and that's the one that matters. In other words, if this was cervical dysplasia, this would be CIN3, right? That's on the cusp, on the horizon of becoming something bad down the road because it's that pre-mutation in the carrier, again, who has no phenotype, they're asymptomatic, but that pre-mutation can then go into a full mutation in the offspring. And that's the catch. That does not exist for the intermediate variety of CGG repeats. So there's normal, intermediate, those are good. It's the pre-mutation that has the highest risk outside of the actual fragile X mutation itself, having more than 200 repeats that can be passed down to the child and the child become affected. See, this is why this matters, because the number of CGG repeats leads to jacked up proteins, and those proteins go into fetal brain development, and that's why this matters. Expansion of the CGG repeats to the full mutation, remember that's more than 200 repeats, promotes hypermethylation and leads to impaired transcription and reduced production of the respective protein, and this adversely impacts prenatal and postnatal brain development. Later on, we're going to talk about the controversy about universal or targeted screening, but it has to do here with this pre-mutation, all right? Because women who carry the pre-mutation can pass on the full mutation to a child, and that's the issue. But the pre-mutation is asymptomatic. In other words, you feel fine. There's no phenotype. And so if you just use a targeted population of those who have intellectual disability or autism or who know that fragile X uh, in the family lineage, unless you have that specific at-risk population, you're going to miss women, people who have the pre-mutation. And that also puts the offspring at risk. So that is one of the reasons why people want universal screening, but we're not there yet. And we're going to talk about that as we get to the end of the podcast. Now we've covered what Fragile X is and what the CGG repeats mean. What makes it a Fragile X? Now, as we get ready to end the podcast, let's cover who should be screened for Fragile X. Should this be targeted population or universal? Let's get into that now. Remember that there are two professional groups making recommendations here, the ACOG and the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics. That's called the ACMGG, and the RECs are similar, yet different. Nonetheless, they both have this one thing in common, that both favor targeted population screening for Fragile X, although not everyone agrees with that. Some call for a universal screen, and we're going to tackle that in a moment. 
Let's first cover the ACOG stance first. The ACOG states that screening for fragile X syndrome should be done in the following cases, but not universally. There's two main groups here that ACOG singles out. The first is that fragile X premutation carrier screening is recommended for women with a family history of fragile X-related disorders or where there's a family history of intellectual disability that could be fragile X. And then the second cohort is that it should be offered in women who have premature ovarian insufficiency with an elevated FSH level before the age of 40. All right, Those are the two big categories that ACOG recommends. Of course, the problem with that is that some women don't know their family history. Or what if you're adopted? Well, that's an easy default, right? I mean, if you don't know your family history, then default to the universal approach and get that woman screened. But it's very interesting that ACOG really just singles out those two main factors there. Fragile X history or intellectual disability, that could be fragile X. And the second is in women who have POI, premature ovarian insufficiency, under the age of 40. ACOG does remind us of something very important here, is that this should be done by DNA molecular tests, all right? You need this molecular test to find out the number of FMR1 triplet repeat numbers. You need to know if it's a true premutation or not. Now, in rare cases, the size of the triplet repeat and the methylation status don't actually correlate with each other, which makes it difficult to predict the real clinical phenotype down the road. In other words, just because a patient has a premutation doesn't necessarily mean that the protein is going to be jacked up and that's going to affect the child. And that's one of the issues with universal screen, that we're going to pick up some premutations that may or may not mean anything. We're just going to freak the patient out. See, nothing is free. In cases of this discordancy between the CGG repeats and the methylation kind of end product, then the patient should be sent to a geneticist for professional evaluation. In other words, if the patient has like CGG repeats that are really high up there and on the border of premutation or full mutation, but they're clinically fine, then you're like, hmm, well, that means that your protein actually still ended up becoming okay, wasn't hypermethylated, and so you're all right, but you have this discrepancy, you go to a genetics professional. All right, everybody good? Good. Now, even though individuals with intermediate mutations are considered at low risk of passing down a true mutation, don't ignore them. ACOG does say that all individuals who have either an intermediate result or a pre-mutation or obviously a full mutation, they should have specific follow-up with a genetic counselor so that they can understand the real risks of passing that off to the child. And that can include, like we've already covered, intellectual disability, and in some cases, premature ovarian insufficiency efficiency or the fragile X tremor ataxia syndrome that we're going to talk about next because ACGG, remember that's the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics, actually goes in into a little bit more detail about that fragile X tremor ataxia syndrome and its screening targeted population. Before we talk about the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics, what are you supposed to do if a patient actually you find has this condition. Well, then you do something about it. Obviously, they go to a genetic counselor. We've already said that. But this also qualifies for prenatal diagnostic testing for fragile X syndrome in the child. I mean, that has to be offered to see if the child has that same mutation, which could increase the chance of obviously being affected. So remember, maternal carrier screening, and if positive, that kicks over to prenatal diagnostic testing for the child. Okay, let's get into ACMGG as we get ready to wrap this up. 
the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics is a bit more descriptive with two items. First is autism and intellectual disability, and the second is a family history of tremor and screening for this genetic issue of Fragile X. The ACMGG states that Fragile X carrier testing is recommended, quote, in individuals of either sex with intellectual disability, developmental delay, or autism, especially if they have physical or behavioral characteristics of Fragile X, or if they also have a family history of Fragile X, or a relative with some undiagnosed intellectual disability, end quote. And regarding the tremor issue, that college states, quote, it's suggested that fragile X carrier screening be done in men or women with late onset intention tremor or ataxia, especially when there's a family history of movement disorders or fragile X or some undiagnosed intellectual disability, end quote. So do you see how the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics kind of spells that out a little bit more? So ask about family history. And by the way, does anybody in your family have this weird movement disorders that seems to be propagated down the family line? And if they do, that's a fragile X targeted population that should be screened. But you see this issue? I mean, these are very targeted. Some people don't know about that, about their relatives and what they have and what they don't have. And that's one of the criticisms with any targeted population or risk factor-based screening like ACOG and ACMGG have is a lot of people don't know their family history. And so this whole other camp is like, look, these people don't know. It's a low kind of risk issue. I'm just going to screen everybody one time to see if they have this intermediate or pre-mutation issue, or if they're one of those rare people who actually have the full mutation, but are asymptomatic because their methylation somehow got lucky and they escaped the phenotype. So that's why there's this push towards universal screen. And I get that. This call for universal screening does actually make sense as compared to the targeted population approach from ACOG and ACMGG. I mean, if you actually take a look at the numbers, there is a high rate of pre-mutation carriers in the general population that can be as high as 157 people who have no family history. And if you just look at those with a family history, you may be missing those with the pre-mutation. Remember, they're otherwise fine, totally asymptomatic, but they're still at risk of passing this on to the child. And this is why expanded maternal carrier screening has really taken off. I mean, it's true, right? People don't know all their family history or if Uncle George has some kind of weird movement disorder. I mean, who knows? And that's why this universal screen, remember, just do it once, does make sense. And I I believe that. I'm in that camp, but I'm also a big stickler for what the college says. I mean, I'm very type A and I got to follow, I'm kind of follow the rules kind of guy. And ACOG says targeted population screen, even though it acknowledges that it's going to miss some pre-mutation carriers. I mean, ACOG says that in its committee opinion. So, you know, can you straddle the fence? Yeah, I guess. I mean, if they know their family history well, that's one thing, but it's totally acceptable. It's okay to do universal screen, but do it just once. Well, podcast family, I even called my contact, as I mentioned earlier, at the American College of Medical Genetics and Genomics, the ACMGG, to say, what's the deal here? I mean, are we still really doing targeted population? They're like, man, that's that's kind of the highest prevalence. I mean, that's we, we have to really target that population. But here was the last words that he said before we hung up. 
Look, we thought hemoglobinopathies was targeted population screening and that changed. <laughs> so it is very loosey-goosey and the main concept is at least we're recognizing this. So do you want to do targeted screening for Fragile X? Fantastic. Do you want to do universal screen? Even better. The point is do something and that's why expanded maternal carrier screening just one time in the reproductive lifespan is a good idea. All right. I hope I've given you something to think about. We thank you for your listenership. We thank you for being part of our podcast family. Keep those messages coming. Man, we love those. We respond to each one. I think we do. No, we do. We respond to each one. (laughs) And we'll see you next time on another episode of Clinical Pearls.